Welcome to Here's Teresa on TalkZone with your host, Teresa E. Keeves. Teresa is here to inspire and educate you with heartwarming stories and informative conversations from a national and global perspective. Now, here's Teresa. Good morning. Good morning, good morning, and good morning to my fabulous, fabulous, fabulous listeners out there. This is Teresa E. Keeves, your host for Here's Teresa, broadcasting on the fabulous TalkZone.com internet radio that I know that all of you have already have your apps for because you've already gone on TalkZone.com website and or you've gone on my website, uh, Teresa at T-E-K, uh, mediations.com and gotten your, the, um, app, which is free for iOS or Android. Uh, Android, I'm rather Android. What the heck is that, Android? <laughs> so, how in the heck are you all out there this morning? I hope and pray that since the last time I broadcasted, your lives were good and filled with love. And by the way, just want to remind you that I will be airing again on the 16th of this month, but it's going to be at 8 a.m. because of the time zone change. Um, you know, I broadcast out of the Midwest, um, but here, you know, in um, the Valley, we don't change, but I have to change the time zone that we air with, okay? So, um, how are you, Teresa? Well, I'm good and highly blessed and excited that I'm going to be talking with all of you out there about uh, today's topic, which is generalized talking. So, so much continues to be going on. And um, we are talking with the world's best mental health therapist, Reginald C. Campbell. And we are going to get started. But let's talk about a couple of things first. All right. Go ahead and laugh if you want. But as of yesterday, I started playing my Christmas music. And for all of you out there who have been listening to me, you know that I said last year that I start my Christmas music the 1st of November, welcoming the most beloved holiday celebrations into my heart and my home, which are Thanksgiving and Christmas. And listen, I bet some of you out there are doing the same thing. Like a lot of you out there start shopping months ahead, which I think is a good thing. It's a good idea, actually. Okay, let's go on. Listeners, guess what? This month marks three years that I will be broadcasting on TalkZone.com Internet Radio. Yay! And congrats, Teresa. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it's, it's very good. It's a very good experience. Um, shout out to my, my fabulous engineer, Dave. Um, so we're rocking and rolling. Now, look, I want to say, you know, how sorry I am for all of the victims in New York and to the families who lost their loved ones during this terrible, terrible tragedy that took the lives of so many and injured um, individuals as well. So, you know, my heart and my prayers go out to all of them, you know, and I just wish that human beings would stop doing stupid stuff to one another. I mean, enough is enough and too much stinks. Now, just briefly, I want to mention a consumer's report that says, Liquid laundry detergent packets pose risk for people with dementia. The nonprofit organization reported that the liquid detergent packets may pose a lethal risk for adults with dementia who may make who may mistake them for food. You know, listeners, there have been also been reports that the liquid packets are also harmful to children, you know, as well as they mistake them for candy. 
You know, while, you know, I am sure that the designers of these packets did not think about, you know, the aforementioned as they were devising some new, you know, something new in the laundry industry. But my questions are this. Now, you know, they know that this is a known issue for people, you know, the liquid laundry detergent industry, that it's an issue for people with dementia and, and children. Have they, you know, the laundry detergent industry made any changes like redesigning their packets that contains the product and also putting warnings, you know, vibrant, big, vibrant and colorful, large warnings on their liquid packets on the front of the, of the packages and the back. And what are the parents doing, for example, to keep um, the product out of the reach of children? You know, there, you know, there's a twofold responsibility here regarding uh, this issue. You know, just what do you think about that, listeners? You know, that, that this is a a good question, um, um, you know, for um, you guys to discuss, um, you know, at your dinner table. Okay. Now, I want to also, listeners, give a shout out um, to Wendy Williams. You know, I'm sure you guys heard that she fainted on her show on Halloween um, she's, she's okay saying now, you know, she was dehydrated. Her, uh, electrolytes was, was, um, um, you know, down and, um, you know, um, you know, and she was hot in her costume. So I'm wishing her the best. Okay. Uh, well, let's get the weather out of the way. The weather has finally cooled down listeners. Yay. You know, we have been like in the, let's say the low to mid eighties uh, recently. And um, well, actually, you know, today is going to even be a, a bit cooler. You know, it's going to be a high of like 79. And uh, right now, you know, it's like 57 to 58 degrees. So um, that's, that's bird to us. But, you know, um, as I was telling my um, engineer day that mother nature, regardless of uh, global warming is doing her best to, you know, resurrect herself as best as, as she possibly can. Now, you know, did the 57 and all of that, you know, that's a big deal for us guys because my thing was that the weather was so hot this summer for so long that I thought we were going to be triple digit into this month, you know, as it has happened before here in the valley, but we missed that boat. Now, look, have you guys heard about the two women and the two dogs that were stranded for five months? Have you guys out there heard that story? Well, KTLA5 on October 31st, 2017 reports in part the following. The two women from Hawaii who say they were lost at sea had an emergency beacon on a ship that was not activated during their roughly five months at sea, a Coast Guard spokesman tells CNN. Now, the story goes in part that the Mariners Jennifer Appel and Tasha Fuga had one EPIRB, which stands for Emergency Position Indicating Radio Beacon, on board, which was properly registered. The Coast Guard Petty Officer Second Class Tara Mole told CNN. Well, Appel and Fuva, hope I'm pronouncing that name, last name correct, along with their two dogs were found last week drifting about 900 miles southeast of Japan. 
Now, the women say their journey was derailed by ferocious storms, multiple shark attacks, and a breakdown in vital equipment such as their engine, mast, and communication devices. The um, the, emer- the emergency beacon, which is found on many vessels, is used to alert rescue locations around the world in the event of an emergency by transmitting a coded message on the 406 megahertz distress frequency via satellite and earth stations to the nearest rescue coordination center, according to EPIRB.com. Now, Mole told CNN that as far as we know, the EPIRB on their sailboat was working properly. Um, I can't speculate as to why they wouldn't have activated it. The Associated Press first reported that question was being asked about certain aspects of their of their account. You know, the two women on board. Now, Appel released a response to those questions Tuesday, saying that they had decided not to activate the beacon because while damaged, the boat was still seaworthy. The women had food and a way of generating fresh water and thought they could make it to a safe haven to com- to complete repairs, she said. Now, the EPIRB calls for calls are for people who are in an immediate life threatening scenario. It would be shameful to call on the U.S. Uh, coast, you know, the United States Coast Guard resources that, you know, when not in imminent peril and allow someone else to perish, you know, because of it. Well, the statement added that their boat had received significant damage while being towed by the Taiwanese fishing that had initially rescued them, leading to a mayday call to the U.S. Navy ship when they knew it was on the way to retrieve them. Had they not been able to locate us, we would have been dead within 24 hours, Appel said earlier during a news conference on the deck of the ship. We did a mayday call for assistance only when it was all absolutely necessary and help did arrive because the resources were available and we are grateful for that. Further confusion about the two women's story also arose when they claimed to have been battered by a strong storm at the beginning of their months at sea. Now, the two women say, listeners, that they sat out from Hawaii, that they set out from Hawaii on May 3rd. And the transcript of their interview with the Navy quotes Appel as saying that on the first night, they encountered a Force 11 storm, which they battled for the following two nights and three days. However, Norman Y, a National Service uh, National Weather Service meteorologist in Honolulu told CNN there, there, CNN there was no organized storm systems near the Hawaiian Islands on the days of May 3rd, 2017, or the few days afterwards. Hmm. CNN has contacted the two sailors to clarify this point, but has not received a reply. If you want to go to KTLA.com to read the story in its entirety, listeners, do so. I, you know, here, here's my thing. Come on. Don't, you know, something is fishy about this story. You know what I'm saying? This story gets a really, really, and what the, what are they talking about, listeners? You know, I'm like, you know, how can you be out there for so long? And, you know, when you see other people that have been stranded at sea for, you know, a month or whatever, you see how how they look. These women, they, you know, didn't show any of that. You know what I mean? So, you know, I'm going, you know, right now I'm going to bring on um my guest right now. 
He is the world's best mental health therapist. His name is Reginald C. Campbell. He is a frequent guest on my show because he is fabulous. Good morning, Reginald. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm doing just great. How are you doing? Doing good. Hanging in. Fantastic. That's what I like to hear. Now, what what is your take on this story that I'm talking about with these two women who were, um, you know, at at sea for five months? Yeah, you know, when I saw the story and 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 read about the story and saw it on television, and I saw the women being rescued um, uh-huh. from the boat. Um, the first thing I thought, and and you know, I, I you know I always want to give someone the benefit of of, of the doubt. Uh, that that's where I come from. But as they were being rescued from the boat, the first mm-hmm. thing I thought, they looked a little healthy. <laughs> you know, that was that was my first thought. They looked they looked pretty healthy. And you were out there for five months. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Now, you know, you have <laughs> nuclear submarines that can stay underwater for six months or a year or, you know, uh, uh, battleships, you know, warships that are, you know, designed to stay out at sea for six months, you know, eight, nine months, you know, things like that. But, they mm-hmm. have, but they're so, so sophisticated vessels that they're able to do that. Exactly. I, I was just wondering, uh, you know, about that story and how they look. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I had some had some doubts. Was trying to quell those doubts, but I have to admit that I had some doubts. Listen, listen. When I was uh, viewing this story on television, my left eyebrow went up. You know, I was saying to myself, as you know, as I'm viewing the story, that the women. I'm, I'm like you, Reginald. I said, "Wow, they sure look robust and very healthy." And uh, and their two dogs, okay, right, right. to the have been, to have well. been lost at sea for five months. And you know, as I was saying, then Reginald, from the onset, something is not right. Were they thinking they may, you know, like get, you know, Reginald, possibility of a movie or a book deal, sure. you know, or something? And I understand that they had over one year supply of food. Okay, mm-hmm. which was fine. All right, that was that was a good thing, and yeah. and and you know, and say that they were going to fix their boat and and you know that they're going to fix their boat and go out again. You know, I'm like, alrighty then. But you know what I'm saying, Reginald? I'm like, you know, they're. I mean, they they look like you know, uh, bodybuilders and stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the, the the woman of color, she was very, you know, you know. Yeah. I I come on. I'm like the people really. Come on now. Yeah, I yeah, I and, thought, uh, boy, kind of kind of fishy here. Uh, no pun intended. Being out at sea, getting fishy. Being out at sea, uh-huh. uh, uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I I just didn't, you know. And again, I, I always want to give people the benefit of the doubt and not be judgmental or anything. But you know, I I, I don't know. Like my my yeah. doubt meter kind of went up went up there yeah and especially saying that they were in a storm and now that has been discounted and you know right. so it's like no you all go on with that you know a, what was that a force 11 storm come on now you know yeah. the coast guard and everyone else that's you know responsible for you know looking and making sure 
that, you know, those those waters are clear and, you know, people are in danger. And if there's a storm, you know, they would know it. I mean, come on, really. Right. Right. You know. Okay. Now, for all of you out there who do not know it, I am a professional mediator as well as all of the other hats I wear. And I do like to keep you all out there listening to my voice informed about what is happening in the world of mediation. As though, you know, I don't talk about it, you know, that much, but it still is very much, you know, one of the loves of my life. Because I still feel and know that the profession of mediation is still the best tool for resolving issues, disputes, and concerns regarding legal disputes and the art of communication you know, it's definitely a key factor for resolving purposes, you know, resolving purposes in the mediation matter. Now, ReginaldMediation.com posted this article on September 2017 uh, titled Using Mediation in Foster Care Cases. Now, it states in part that mediation is an effective tool when dealing with family issues. In the last few years, the use of mediation in foster care adoption and dependency and neglect cases has risen exponentially. More communities recognize the efficacy of this tool, spurring them to adopt new mediation programs to address these issues. The traditional adversarial process involved in foster care and child protective cases often has inherent shortcomings that do not serve the best interest of the child or the parties involved. As such, mediation provides an effective alternative. It goes on to say, Reginald, that foster care mediation involves specifically trained objective individuals who help facilitate communications between the parties. Now, they say that during the mediation process, the mediator helps identify issues that need to be resolved, you know, and if the parties are able to reach an agreement, this agreement is memorialized in writing. I just love this article, Reginald. You know, being in the field of social work and mental health, I'm, you know, I'm sure you know that you um, have come across a number, you know, of individuals where you had to deal with and or facilitate the care and safety of children, you know, like in a court setting, you know, and it could take longer as you had, you know, to get involved with setting up court time, you know, and their calendars can be off the chain, which, you know, because it could take a long time. You know, particularly when a child or children are involved and needing assistance more sooner than later. So, you know, my thing is in the process of mediation, the calendar for setting up time is not nearly as tight as the court's calendar, as I mentioned before, thereby making, you know, this issue to be taken care of much more expeditiously. What do you think about that, Reginald? Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've worked for years in 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 the juvenile court system, Um uh, I had a short stint in foster care, however, uh, all of my years in uh, case management and the juvenile court system still were intertwined with, with foster care. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were speaking of the adversarial atmosphere, and that's something I thought of right away uh, when uh, I would attend court, court hearings in, in, in Chicago when I was doing, doing the work there, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 GALs, the Guardian, and Leiden, uh, and, and a lot of the judges for that matter, but especially the, the GALs, uh, it, it was always this ad- adversarial atmosphere mm-hmm. where um, mm-hmm. you know, the case manager was the bad guy, the agency was the bad guy, you know, so it was mm-hmm. always that, that atmosphere, which was 
unhealthy for, first of all, the client, unhealthy mm-hmm. for uh, the case manager, and uh, the court system didn't see it this way, but it's unhealthy towards for them and what was being done. And in my opinion, a lot of that was just a dog and pony show, and I'm sure if anybody who's listening to the sound of my voice who worked in a large uh, metropolitan area uh, like Chicago, New York, or, or let's just say Chicago, anybody that's listening to my voice who worked in the, the juvenile court system in Chicago know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would basically go into court with my boxing gloves on because I knew mm-hmm. it was going to be a fight. And uh, so changing that atmosphere, changing what has been done, um, uh, having a, a mediation type of, 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 uh, of uh, atmosphere, uh, implementing mediation, it, in my opinion, would be uh, a godsend for all of the reasons that I articulated uh, in the past, uh, uh, past few minutes. So yeah it, it it would be a welcome change in my opinion yeah and we need to attend to these children at a at a more faster rate you know it should not take years to get children settled um you have a family that's been approved they've been checked out and and everything else you know and they want a child they want to be a foster parent or things like that then you know it it should be it shouldn't be all of this is you know oh it took took six years and all of the other horror stories that I heard, um you know regarding um getting children foster care and and or adoption you know and and um you know things like that you know neglect cases and stuff like that it just takes too darn long you know where in some um in some um um. Uh, circumstances, you know, just I'm sure you can attest to this that and, and you know, it's, I think it's just terrible. Well, the child is being neglected and it's taking them like forever to get that, you know, that situation taken care of. You know, it gets tied up in the course and the and you're right in the grandstanding of the attorneys and all of this kind of jazz. So I'm I'm very happy that the um, mediation um, process is getting into that area as well. You know what I'm saying? It, it needs yep. to be. It needs to be done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I okay. totally agree. It, it uh, makes no sense that um, uh, is the process of two, three, four, five years for uh, for a child to be adopted, and and you have mm-hmm. people who have gone through the training, who are or who who maybe were the foster parent of this child, and now they're they fall in love with this kid, and they want to adopt him and her, uh, him or her. Uh, you, you know, things in that. It, it just just really need to really need to change. Things uh, need know, to what, change. What exactly. It's not, it's not working. It makes no yeah. sense. It would take that long uh, for the adoption process. It makes no sense at all. Yeah. Which has which has since we're talking about the adoption process, which has remember that this was um, has been going on for a while now where um, they, they make it so hard. Excuse me, to adopt children here in this country. This is why a lot of people have gone over to other countries and adopted right. children. Because it, it's right. like, you know, okay, you still want to see, that's one of the things that's wrong with this country. They still want to do things the way it has always been done, you know, instead of moving forward, you know, um, um, you know, and so that things can be to, to be better, you know, particularly in what we're talking about with children, you know. 
it, it's it's yeah, it shouldn't take it shouldn't take years and you know months and all of that stuff for a child to be you know adopted. Okay, right. Reginald. Now, the NAACP, I'm sure you guys out there heard about it, is warning African-American travelers to be careful when they fly with American Airlines. Now, this is being reported also on CNN on October 25th, 2017. And you can also pull down the um, story in its entirety on money.cnn.com. Now, it says in part, uh, Reginald and my listeners, in an advisory late Tuesday, the organization said it has noticed a pattern of disturbing incidents reported by African-American passengers specific to American Airlines. Now, the NAACP cited four examples of black passengers who it said were forced to give up their seats or were removed from flights. Now, it said the incident suggests a corporate culture of racial insensitivity and possible racial bias and advised travelers to exercise caution. Booking and boarding flights on American Airlines could subject them to disrespectful, discriminatory or unsafe conditions, the advisory said. Now, original American Airlines CEO Doug Parker said in a memo to staff that the company was disappointed to hear about the NAACP warning. Now, the NAACP warning referenced four examples, including one involving a black woman, Reginald, who was removed from a New York bound flight after she complained that her seat was changed without her consent. Now, how disrespectful is that? Now, though the woman was not identified by the NAACP, she spoke to CNN Money about the incident. The woman, whose name is Tamika Mallory, said she had gotten into a heated exchange earlier this month in October with a gate attendant at the Miami airport, who she described as very disrespectful and very dismissive. Mallory said she told the attendant that she would file a report about the incident. Mallory, a civil rights activist and a co-chair of the Women's March on Washington, said the pilot of the aircraft, Reginald, a white man, witnessed the end of the encounter and pulled her aside. Okay, now get this. The first words to come out of the pilot's mouth to me, uh, Miss Mallory said, is that he said respect is a two-way street, adding that she, adding that he asked her whether she could behave. Okay, whether she could behave herself on the flight. Okay. Mm. Now, Mm. Mallory says she told him there were there would be no issue and boarded the plane. She said she went on to her seat, sat quietly for 10 minutes. And then Reginald, here they come asking her to get up and leave. As she left, Mallory said she saw the pilot again, the same pilot that had, you know, talked to her before. She said that he looks at me and points and says, yeah, her, off. Mallory said she told an NAACP board member about the incident and tweeted details from her encounter with the pilot. Okay, you know, Reginald, come on. You're gonna, they're, they're, they're doing this stupid stuff and they're thinking that they're gonna get away with it. 
What is going on with these doggone airlines? First, you had United, you know, as they drug that man off. And then, you know, he ended up suing their behinds. You know, he had, you know, injuries, broken nose and something like that. You know, he his body was injured. Uh, Let me say, because I don't I can't remember the specifics that of his body that was. And it was and it was demeaning and it was uncalled for. You know, what what do you think about all of this, Reginald? Yeah. Well, you know, this this guy, the pilot talking about respect is the two way street. Well, you you know, it, then then articulate and behave the, the way you articulate. So he said, mm-hmm. you behave yourself. Well, first of all, that's disrespectful of how he's talking to an adult person. Behave. Thank you. You're not talking behave. to a child. The child, exactly. To a five or six year old child, you know, can, are you going to behave yourself? Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I was thinking of the gentleman who was dragged off the plane and just how mm-hmm. ridiculous and disrespectful that was. So if yes. you need to be removed from a plane or, or asked, you know, to bump your seat or wh- whatever, and you don't want to, because yeah, obviously from what I understand, it's, it's your choice, then uh-huh. what, they call security and drag you off. You, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, what mm-hmm. is what is what is this a gong show or something? So, so she should take legal action. And here's what I what what I'll tell people: little advice that I tell people: before you open your mouth and do things, be aware of who you may be talking to or talking mm-hmm. at, because that person yeah. who you're talking to or talking at just may be the one to put your butt in the sling or your company in the sling. So, mm-hmm. so I hope she goes full tilt, full tilt boogie with what she needs to do or whatever complaints or legal action that she needs to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, 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 it, it is just off the chain, the things that these companies are doing, you know, and wow. um, I, you know, I don't know what is, what the heck is going on with American airlines. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I, you know, I need to, uh, uh, research them further, you know, because I do know that, um, you know, my husband and I, we've flown American Airlines, you know, um, for, you know, for quite, you know, for quite, you know, some time when we were, you know, traveling a lot and all that, you know, but, um, it, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. A person pays for a seat and then they, they go to get checked in and, uh, and then, you know, no, your seat has been changed. You know, I'm paying for my seat. I worked hard to pay for this high price seat that's only two yeah. inches wide nowadays. I gotta, yeah. even if I'm wearing a size four, I gotta squeeze myself in. I get the possibility of having thrombosis because it's the, the, the there's no space in the seat. You right. know, they don't care. You know, and um, right. uh, you know, it is it's it's just totally ridiculous. It, it really is crazy the way human beings are just off the doggone chain. You know, so I, too, hope that she goes after them and rake their behinds around, you know, uh, you know, on the coals, because this is uh, unacceptable for organization to be acting like that. And the pilot who's supposed right. to have some savoir right. faire about himself. And then he's right. and, and I agree with you, Reginald. Respect is a two way street. And then he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, her off, you know. Then the next right. thing you know, he'll probably get uh, rolled up because he was drinking or some crap. As he was uh, trying yeah. to fly the plane and or flying yeah. the plane, it it comes back <laughs> yeah. around 
and it comes Reginald and it comes back around real quick nowadays okay mm-hmm. that that old yeah. statement uh listeners what goes around comes around um you know nowadays because we're living in such crazy crazy times it's coming by faster it's not you know like you do something real crazy and then 30 years later you get the karma nope it's coming at you right now okay that's for sure yeah Uh uh-huh now i want to talk about something else um you know that i think that is really deep okay www.theverge.com reported on October 27th, uh, 2017 by James Vincent Reginald that Walmart is using shelf scanning robots to audit its stores. Now the report says in part the following Walmart has announced is deploying shelf scanning bots in 50 locations around the U.S. using the machines to check things like inventory prices and misplaced items okay the retailing giant says the robots introduction won't lead to job losses right and that the company wants to save employees from carrying out tasks that are repeatable predictable and manual (laughs) the robots themselves are produced by california-based bossa nova robots and are about two feet tall with an extendable tower containing lights and sensors for scanning shelves. Now, Reginald, the robots are supposed to save workers time, but Walmart said Walmart says it will also use that data that they collect to improve efficiency nationwide. Now, Demonstrating the robot's usefulness, Reginald, is simple enough, but Walmart's claim that their deployment won't lead to job losses is harder to prove. Just because you don't fire a human the moment you, you, you know, you buy a robot doesn't mean you won't hire fewer humans further down the line. And although economists and other forecasters disagree about whether the current wave of automation is going to lead to widespread job losses, at least some studies show that when you get more industrial robots in any geographic area, you get fewer jobs and lower wages. Whether or not the same holds true of self-scanning bots will no doubt be the subject of future studies. Now, Reginald and my listeners, in one news report I heard earlier, it said that the robots are more efficient than a human. Okay, so here's my question that I, you know, I'd like to have questions that I can give my listeners the things to discuss, you know, at the dinner table, lunchtime, you know, with their with their loved ones or whatever. Here's my questions, you guys. Okay. How can the robots be more efficient than a human being when human beings are developing and programming them? I say this is just a way for these companies' executives to have more money, hire less, you know, human beings, and that, you know, that that's it. Your thoughts on that, Reginald? Well, that's it. <laughs> that's it in a nutshell. Them saying that it's not going to affect jobs and it's uh, not going to affect wages and all of that, you know, if they say it's not about the money, it's about the money. It is, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, whatever exactly. Says, oh, that's not Ask any coach when the owners tell him, oh, no, he's 
he's okay, we're not going to fire him. And within the next week, he he's gone. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I, I mean, come on. That's another thing, just kind of what we were saying earlier about how companies behave and how companies talk and how companies treat their employees and how they treat customers. Um, mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with the company being efficient, being uh, money-wise and things like that. But your mm-hmm. employees, if not for your employees, you would have nothing. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. should be all about the employees. And that's the difference in Japanese companies and how, and, and how they treat their employees from the top. You know, mm-hmm. the, the employees aren't looked down as some minions that are expendable like, you know, uh, a napkin, you know, you use the napkin and okay, it's gone, you know. Oh, yeah, it's gone, yeah, yeah. A lot of companies, American companies, I have to say, treat their employees. Exactly, um, exactly. And, and what type of production do you think you're going to get from your employees when you have that type of atmosphere? Exactly. And so, you know, they're, they're saying, oh, the robots, you know, they can... You know, if something is misplaced, okay, so are they going to take it and place it to where it's supposed to be? There's, there's, robots will never, ever, 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 ever replace human beings. And once again, I am not against, as like what you were saying, Reginald, um, um, organizations making certain that, you know, they are, you know, um, uh, you know, up to date and, um, they're efficient. And, um, their productivity, um, is, is, you know, continues to rise, you know, but you also need to make sure that it's not, you know, all about the money. You need to make sure, uh, that you understand that you wouldn't be able to have these, you know, gigantic bonuses if it wasn't for the people who was, who are, who's really doing the hard work, you know, um, you know, making sure that the, 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 you know, the items are on the shelves and, and all of this. So are these robots going to be able to smell fish when it has gone awry? And I mean, this, I just have so many questions. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a proponent, you know, at all for this. If you all haven't, don't, couldn't tell, you know, but, um, uh, they would never be able to replace, uh, human beings, you know, and I don't know if, you know, how many of you guys are out there. Um, you're and and um are aware about Stephen Hawkins, but um you know I I I I like Stephen Hawkins. I have a lot of respect for him, and he has said he and others have said, but particularly Stephen Hawkins, that they need to leave this robotic stuff alone. They do not need to get into that. They really need to leave that alone because it's it's not a good thing. Okay. Now, Reginald, I want to talk about that it is being reported on Democracy in America on October 5th, this is a report, that Latinos have become Chicago's second largest group. Okay? Now, I'm going to read a little bit of what this article says. It says, the next mayor of Chicago will be Latino, predicts John Hagdorn at the University of Illinois in Chicago. Latinos recently became the second largest ethnic group in the city, 
accounting for 29.7 percent of the population, overtaking African-Americans, which is 29.3 and rivaling whites, 32.6. For decades, the local Democratic Party's machine was able to ignore Latinos. Today, this would be politically suicide. The closeness, the closeness of Rahm Emanuel, Chicago's mayor to Louis Gutierrez, a congressman and perhaps the city's most powerful Latino position politician reflects this on October 2nd. And by the way, Rahm Emanuel is white and Jewish flanked by Mr. Gutierrez, who is of Puerto Rican origin and a dozens of Latino aldermen and city officials announced that he is inviting tens of thousands, Reginald, of Puerto Ricans fleeing their hurricane ravaged Island to Chicago. So about 1600 have already arrived in the city, Reginald and my listeners Gilbert Belegas, who is the chairman of the city council's Hispanic caucus, predicted that as many as, are you sitting down, Reginald, 100,000 Puerto Ricans mm-hmm. could pour into Chicago, which would double the city's Puerto Rican contingent. Now, Chicago, which is a sanctuary city, um, meaning that it does not enforce federal immigration laws, for all of you out there who didn't know, is welcoming to Latinos. Mexicans are by far the biggest group, accounting for about 80% of the city's 803,000 Hispanics. Puerto Ricans are the second biggest group, followed by medley of Central Americans, okay? That who they intend, they, they tend to cluster around the industries that hire them regional and have stayed there. Little Village is predominantly, predominantly Mexican. Hobart Park is uh, Puerto Rican and so on. So we know about all those areas. Now, just a little bit mention of this. Crime is a big concern, but three quarters of murder victims and murderers are black, whereas Hispanics account for only 12 percent of killers and their victims. Okay. now I'm going to end this by saying the increasing power of Latinos are has created tensions with blacks who have fled segregation, violence, and unemployment in their old neighborhoods in recent years. In 1970, Chicago had the second largest black population in the country, which was 1.3 million. Now it's only 792,000. What do you think about that, Reginald? Hmm. Well, uh, so times are a-changing, as uh, yep. Cook saying. Um you know, having left Chicago two and a half years ago, really well aware of Representative Louis Gutierrez. Uh, actually, he was on the forefront of um, of speaking uh, about what has not happened positively in Puerto Rico uh, by the federal government. Uh, mm-hmm. So he's been outspoken about that. Uh, Representative Gutierrez worked uh, closely with um uh, the late Mayor Harold Washington in, in the 80s, uh, Chicago's first uh, first black mayor, uh, put it this way, first elected black mayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, Wilson Frost was Chicago's first black mayor after the death of uh, uh, Mayor Daley. At the time, Wilson Frost was uh, uh, vice president pro tem, which basically was, was uh, vice mayor. Uh, vice but, mayor, yeah. That, that's another that's another story I could I could yep. touch on at a later time. Uh, mm-hmm. Humble Park, Little Village, uh, are now all uh, Latino neighborhoods, and you know we know back in the day, not long ago, Humble Park was uh, you know if you were a person of color, you could not live in Humble Park. Uh, you got uh, that right. Not, 
We could not live in, in, in Little Village. And so now mm-hmm. all of those areas are uh, areas um, uh, of, uh, for, for um, Latino population. So it, it just shows how, how, it is, how it has changed, uh, you know, the population mm-hmm. growth, uh, the population growth in, in California. Uh, so, and, and, and I think it, it has caught a lot of people by surprise. Um, it was no surprise to me, you know, growing me up neither. at that time. You yep. know, we saw, we saw this coming. Um, yep. but, um, but hooray, hooray for that. That's, that's exactly. how, how I'll end by that. Hooray. Exactly. And this, and this should be, um, a good lesson, but you know, people, Human beings, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, I'm not saying this for all human beings, but a lot of human beings tend to, you know, not learn, as I was saying about, uh, you know, the uh, mediation. I'm very um, happy that that's, you know, going to be uh, starting to come into um, the forefront of helping adoption and foster children and neglect cases. Um, so, you know, um, but people, they tend not to pay attention because they want it to be like it has always been. You know, and now, uh, yeah, I, I think it's fabulous. I, I say hooray for that. I, I love it. I, I, I really love it. You know, so there you go. <laughs> there, there you go. That's all I, that's all I want to say about that. Okay. But Reginald, let me say this. Let me, wait, I take that back. I, I do have one more thing I want to say about that. Well, you know, Reginald, from the beginning, you know what I'm going to say from the beginning, the color of this country was, Brown. Well, that's all I'm that's all I'm going to say. Okay. Now, here's something else. This was um an article that uh actually was pointed out to me um by my husband Brian. It says that Americans are renouncing citizenship at a record pace. Third quarter numbers point to another annual high. Now, this is by Suzanne Woolley, and it was reported on November 1st, 2017. It states in part, Reginald and my listeners, in the third quarter of this year, 1,376 Americans renounced their U.S. citizenship, putting the annual tally on track to top 2016's record data from the Treasury Department show. Excuse me. If this year's fourth quarter mirrors that of 2016, when 2,365 people chose to expatriate, 2017 annual tally would be 6,813. That's a 26% rise, Reginald, from 2016's total of 5,411. Okay? Which was itself a 26% jump from 2015. So in other words, <clears throat> this exodus is, you know, has been on a steady increase of 26% of leaving the country. You see what I'm saying? So now the the pace of Americans jumping ship started to accelerate in 2010 when the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act, also known as FATCA, you know, they always got to have some kind of acronym, FATCA, F-A-T-C-A, became law. Okay? That's what one thing that started this. The act was intended to stem tax evasion of U.S. citizens living 
or working abroad by basically requiring foreign institutions holding assets for American expats to report those accounts or withhold a 30% um, tax on them. So your thoughts on this, Reginald? Hmm. Well, um, I can... I, I can see um, the mass exodus with the atmosphere of, of the country right now, the political atmosphere of the country, and uh, mm-hmm. the behavior of, of Donald Trump. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's not a surprise, un- unfortunately, Um uh, you, you know, people are seeing and they're disappointed in the political uh, and, and lack thereof of political leadership in, in this country. And mm-hmm. they're, they're looking for, for something better. Uh, you know, when you have the chief of staff uh, of, of the White House talking about how the Civil War could have been ended, I mean, how, how, how the Civil War could I mean, it's something really asinine that, that, that he said. And it, it seems like they always reach back to the spare tire. And that spare mm-hmm. tire being racist. <coughs> All you the know, time. Always throw out the dog whistle, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about the Civil War. Um, uh, they're, they're, they're taking down our, our statues as, as part of history. You know, the Civil War, you know, so so it's these dog whistles that are constantly thrown out there when the crap starts to hit the fan. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and, and I think people are tired of it. Mm-hmm. I know I'm tired of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's no reason for it. So so I think a, a lot of people are, are probably disappointed at uh, what they are seeing, and obviously I can't speak for these people, uh, but just saying that they may be disappointed in what they're seeing of what the country, our country, has has become. Exactly, and it it is it's, it's very very disappointing, and um you know and I agree with you um that that people want calmer waters, Reginald. You know you've been in this country. And, you know, it, everything is, is, is a racial divide. They're so freaking divisive, you know, racism, racism, racism. You know, they, and I want to say, I want to even say that they are more than tired, you know, of, of these kinds of things, you know. And like, for example, to my knowledge, Germany, they don't have statues of Hitler or anybody else that was doing um, horrendous and nasty acts and things over there in that country. They know that it happened, but you don't sit there and somewhat, <clears throat> somewhat glorify them by putting up a statue, you know, uh, of them. Exactly. They did, they, they did exactly. terrible things and that's like glorify, <clears throat> excuse me, that's like glorifying them, you know, that, okay, <clears throat> here, this was Hitler and he did all of this and they don't, they don't have any of that over there. You know, you don't want to be reminded of the nastiness, you know, the, you know, the lower crust, let's say, of society. You know, we want to, we know that that happens. So you put that down there and you just build on top of it. 
You know, you never want to go and do that again. But unfortunately, it seems, and I love this country, you all. Don't go saying, oh, Teresa doesn't. No, I'm just saying the truth. Yeah, I'm just talking. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just talking and I'm just saying that it is more than enough of this, of this kind of, you know, carrying on, you know, and, and, and you were talking about, you know, Donald Trump, you know, when it is somebody going to say, they need to start saying more and more that he was not elected. Come on. He was not elected. This is why he was jumping up and down about, I want to have, you know, the, the, the votes checked because there was people that was voting that should not be voted because listeners, he did not win by the regular vote. He did not win by the popular vote. What got him in was the electoral college. <laughs> okay. That's how he got in. You know, which they need to get rid of the electoral college. And there's been a lot of talk about it, but nothing has so far, nothing has been, you know, been, you know, been done about it. You know what I'm saying? Well, just, just touch on that right quick. You know, with the electoral college, the electoral college was, is, uh, you know, has its foundation, has its roots in, in, in racism. Um, you, you know, because it was a way to, Get more votes for for smaller states, um, you know, where where you could count your slaves as three fifths of a human being, even though obviously slaves could not vote, but they could mm-hmm. be counted as three fifths of a human being. So 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 that's where the electoral college has 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 its roots, and mm-hmm. you know, people who right, and I'm glad to say, oh, don't start this, you know, you don't love this country. Look, because I don't agree. With everything that's going on, that's that, right. Don't, don't don't give me that love it or leave it crap. You know exactly. You're no more of a patriot than I am. Okay, that's you right. Your patriotism does not jive with mine. Um, exactly. Uh, just talk a little about the Civil War and all of that. These these are people who wanted to succeed from the Union. Are you kidding mm-hmm. me? They wanted to destroy the country. They wanted to. So where is the patriotism in that? Okay. Thank you. So so don't give me that patriotism, love it or leave it stuff. Then once then the thing about Donald Trump, don't talk to me about how he's. This guy had three to four to five deferments. And 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 yeah, I'm 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 no you know I, I I don't agree. Um, uh, with, um, uh, I'm sorry, I, I can't think of his name, our, 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 oh, John McCain, and I apologize for that, Senator McCain. I don't, I don't agree with him politically at all, at all. However, however, when John McCain was, was in the Hanoi Hilton being tortured, uh, Donald Trump was getting deferment. Deferment. So don't talk to me about a hero. Exactly. Exactly. Don't don't talk to me about that. John McCain had the opportunity to to leave early and be released on the Hanoi Hilton early because he and he refused. Don't talk to me, Donald Trump, about patriotism. You are he's a paper tiger and all of this is just straight up BS. So exactly. You know, and I, I got about I got about three minutes uh left. But but uh you know, I just wanna say <clears throat> as well that 
you know, um, I, I agree what you're, you know, what you're saying. I have, um, mucho respect, um, you know, for Senator, uh, you know, John McCain. Um, you know, he, you know, he, he, he's all, he's all right, you know, uh, in my book. A lot of things he did as well. Um, you know, I did not agree with politically, but as I'm saying, while you're talking about you got some stupid, uh, spurs in your feet and then, but yet you want to send other, people's husbands, wives, children and, and 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 out to war and you and your sons and your daughters have never and your wife and wives have never seen the horrendous things that are dealing with about war, but yet you're so eager to be trigger happy. You know, that's what I'm saying. You know, so Reginald, I have run out of time <laughs> and uh, I just want to remind my listeners that I will be back on um uh November uh the 16th and remember it I will be airing live at eight o'clock but you can always get me um as you know on talkzone.com and just plug in here's Teresa and um you can listen away uh to to my um uh, stations I mean to my my reports thank you Reginald you have a blessed day you know I'll be talking to you later today my listeners out there you have a blessed day be safe, be kind to yourself because that's where it starts. You can't give somebody something you ain't got and then take your kindness within and give it to others. Have a blessed day. This is Teresa E. Keys. Mm-hmm.